Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We begin the readout with an anniversary of sorts. One year ago today, we got this warning sign that Donald Trump would not go quietly if he lost the 2020 election. Will you commit to making sure that there is a peaceful transfer of power after the election? Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots, and the ballots are a disaster. I and, understand that, but and, people are rioting. Do you commit oh, to making sure that there's a no, peaceful wanna, transfer of power? We want to have get rid of the ballots, and you'll have a very trans. We'll have a very peaceful. There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. Trump made no secret of his intent, and we now know how close he came to stealing that election. But while Trump is out of office, the big lie endures. And without accountability, free and fair elections in this country remain in jeopardy. Now, the select committee investigating January 6th is trying to provide that accountability. NBC News reports that in response to their sweeping requests, investigators have received documents from seven executive branch agencies. Six of the committee's members made clear to Politico that they're prepared to fly past any obstacles they encounter, mindful of Trump's past successes at stymieing congressional investigators. Next, they're readying a wave of subpoenas, according to Chairman Betty Thompson, who said a list of targets would be released as soon as this week. The Guardian reports that according to a source familiar with the goings-on, the targets could include former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, his deputy Dan Scavino, and former Trump campaign manager Brad Parscale. As we've seen, the committee has good reason to move with urgency. Not a week goes by that we don't learn something new about Trump's effort to overturn the election by any means necessary. The latest revelation that Trump and his lawyer pushed Pence to nullify the vote in seven states represents nothing less than an attempted coup. And that effort is still ongoing today, a full 10 months after the election. The right wing movement to infiltrate our electoral system state by state continues with with the long-delayed fake audit in Arizona coming to an end. Republicans in the Arizona Senate are expected to unveil the results tomorrow. Those results, which will emerge from a chaotic, flawed system brimming with cheese dust and conspiracy theories, don't actually matter. This fraud, it was never anything real. And yet, the damage has been done. Every day, these optics sustained and normalized the big lie. That was the point allowing Republicans to now call foul every time that an outcome does not go their way, which is happening already in Wisconsin and in Pennsylvania. Next, the big lie takes on a newer, more menacing form that even future elections are not to be trusted. And that is the most dangerous place for a democracy to be. Joining me now is Alex Wagner, co-host and executive producer of Showtime's The Circus, and Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large of The Bulwark, an MSNBC columnist. And Alex, I have to start with you. I mean, as we take a look at some of the people who are behind the scenes at the ellipse 
on the day of January 6th. This was sort of the real time kind of, you know, sort of denouement of the attempted coup. And you can see, and this was the, this is the chief of staff to the president of the United States backstage, if we have that video, you know, yucking it up with Don Jr. There they are. And this was just before the march to the Capitol that we, we know how that ended. But even before that, Alex, Adam Serwer at The Atlantic, he goes through all the different ways that these these people tried to steal our election, trying to pressure secretaries of state to not certify the election, trying to pressure state legislatures to overturn the results, trying to get the courts to overturn the results, trying to pressure Mike Pence to overturn the results. And when all else fails, doing that mob action. Do you have the sense that I do that this that because they tried so many different ways before January 6th, that this was all just a dress rehearsal for what they're going to try to do again? Oh, Joy, I mean, (laughs) the only thing we know is that the Republican Party will stop at nothing to hold on to power. I mean, it began with redistricting, which looks so innocent compared to where we are now. And uh, we're at the stage, the only metaphor I can use, it's like watching a body and its immune system get attacked by a metastasizing cancer. And I think, you know, the, the audit that you mentioned, these are the next Adam Serwer's list is a laundry list of what we would call the kitchen sink, ways in which to push anti-democratic forces to decertify uh, a a fair and free election. And I think what we're going to see in the next couple months, I have talked to state legislators in the Republican Party. They say these audits are just to make sure that everyone can regain their trust in American elections. It is gaslighting NAPU's ultra. It is to undermine public confidence in those elections and then use all the levers of power, change the way elections are conducted in this country. And thus far, it has proven to be a remarkably successful strategy. And that is something that should terrify everybody who cares about the preservation of American democracy. This effort is not stopping and could very well stop. Well, and the thing is, Charlie, because, you know, you had Steve Bannon, um, who was previously famous for making Breitbart the home of the so-called alt-right, which is white nationalists dressed up in suits, you know, said, you know, that our goal here that, you know, telling Trump, you need to focus on January 6th, because at minimum, we're just going to kill the Biden administration in its crib. So that part has succeeded. You have a big plurality, if not a majority of Republicans who do not believe that Joe Biden is a legitimate president. You start with that. You've also got a big plurality, if not a majority of Republicans who don't believe any election they lose is legitimate and who don't believe that anyone who votes for Democrats is a legitimate voter. And so the only way to supposedly make them feel confidence in the election is to make it so that those people that they don't think are legitimate can vote. If they're saying if those people even get to vote, I don't trust elections. I only trust elections when I win, when our, when my side wins. If that's the way one party feels, I don't see how you pull back and have a proper democracy. No, I agree with everything that Alex said. Look, we're, we are in the midst of, of a constitutional crisis right now. January 6th was was not a, a one-off. It's happening in real time, in in you know, broad daylight, that you do have um, th- this this attack on the election. And, and, the, and the agenda you know, should be obvious by now. It is, of course, to discredit the results of the 2020 election based on the big lie. It is to delegitimize the Biden presidency going forward. And then it is to lay the groundwork 
for possibly doing this in 2024. Uh, Reuters did a survey of the Republicans running for secretaries of state, and the majority of them um, are not willing to say that, uh, that this election was legitimate. And these are the key players. These are the people who stood um, solidly against the attempts to steal the election. But what, what Donald Trump is doing is he is reshaping the Republican Party into a party that might be more willing to go along with this, or certainly a party that's unwilling to stand up against it. And yes, the vast majority of Republican voters you know, now doubt the legitimacy of the election. But I have to tell you, this is where the deep cynicism comes in. Uh, most of the elected officials know perfectly well that it's all a lie, that it's all BS. They know what they're doing, and they're telling themselves, I'm, we're just going to throw out some boo bait to the bubbas. We're going to satisfy the base. But the reality is that they are undermining confidence in a democracy in a way that we have never seen in this country. And again, January 6th is not an historical event. It is an ongoing, rolling assault on democracy. People need to understand that, that it's not something yeah. in the rearview mirror. Well, they don't have to believe it. I mean, fascism requires hand handmaidens, too. And they don't really have to believe it. They just have to do it. Uh, let's talk about you the do. Democrats' response to it. So Politico reports at the timetable, Alex, for this select committee, they're speeding it up. Chairman Benny Thompson has said he hopes to complete the commission's inquiry by spring, which is actually kind of an earlier timeline than we originally thought. So let's say they do that. Um, then what? Because if you have a, an inquiry that the other side will just simply dismiss, wh what do you expect the results of that inquiry to be in the real world? Well, I mean, I can't tell you what's going to be. The, I can't tell you what the result of the inquiry will be, but the fact that they're- or the impact. They're I'd say the up. impact. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would just say the, the, the results, look, look, they're moving expeditiously. They learned a lesson in the Trump years that the American public does not have an infinite um, attention span for this kind of stuff, especially when half the country feels like the results are preordained. Um, and I think the most uh, sort of efficient uh, line of argument is going to be the material that they sub the subpoenas and the documents that they've requested. Look, this is stuff we haven't seen before. And I think if you amass a body of evidence that's coming directly from the White House and from former White House officials, that could go some way to bringing independents who are skeptical about Biden's legitimacy, perhaps that could bring them over the line. But look, I think the ultimate goal is to make sure that the forces that are gathering, the gathering storm, if you will, that is seeking to undermine the credibility of Americans ele American elections is stopped in its track. And the, the way you do that is pulling out the lies of root and branch. And so they, it begins probably well before January 6th, but this commission could do a lot to move the center of gravity back to the center of the lies. And I think, again, if we use the metaphor of a metastasizing cancer, it's like it's it's going for the center of that cancer. It's going to the tumor. And, yeah. and I think that the Democrats yeah. believe that's central to making sure that 2020 doesn't unfold like 20, 2022 is not a redux of big lies like 2020. Well, and I guess the question, I guess the, the bottom line question is, Charlie, is can that be done if there are not also indictments? Because it, it is hard to believe that you could pull off a, an attempted coup without committing crimes. We know that there are criminal investigations in Georgia. We know that there are obviously criminal investigations against the, the meatheads, the people who are storming the Capitol and, and, and defecating in it. But if you don't have prosecutions at a higher level, including Donald Trump, I wonder if there is no way that even the most damning possible report right. by this inquiry makes a difference if folks aren't actually prosecuted so that there are real consequences for people with power. 
Yeah, people ought to be uh, prosecuted. Of course, it's going to be under the under the cloud of a possible uh, future Trump presidency where he would very clearly um, use his pardon power to to wipe out those convictions. So uh, the criminal justice system you know, ought to be pursued, but it's a crapshoot. I think that what Democrats need to understand is the magnitude of this threat and the fact that it is a legitimate use of their power to change the laws, for example, that will allow this kind of gamesmanship or the kind of things that we saw in that John Eastman memo, which, by the way, needs to get a lot more attention. I mean, they they put it in, in writing. I mean, they, they, they put mm-hmm. their coup plan, you know, in writing. We have it. I don't know why it's not on the you know front page of every newspaper in the, the the country, but ultimately, what Congress is going to have to do is understand that yes, there there are really serious issues involved in the election, but there are much more grave issues involving who counts those votes, including the Electoral College Electoral Act, which is a ridiculous piece of legislation and which Mike Pence might have uh, abused. But I do think that legislative action is also going to be necessary to prevent this from happening. Otherwise, we are going to see this slow rolling disaster. I mean, imagine if the secretaries of state in places like Georgia had gone along with Donald Trump as opposed to standing up against him. We would be living in a very different world. And I think we may find out what that world looks like. Yeah. And I'm not so sure Raffensperger, given the second chance, wouldn't go along with it based on his his new uh, belief system that he's adopted. And I think I know why it's not on the front page of every book, uh, because there is a normalizing trend when it comes to things Republicans do. Just my opinion. Alex Wagner, Charlie Sykes, thank you very much. We are, uh, by the way, monitoring a news conference that's just begun in Colliersville, Tennessee, just outside of Memphis, after a mass shooting today at a supermarket. Police say one person was killed and at least 13 injured and that the suspect died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. If there are any new developments, we will absolutely bring them to you. And up next on the readout, the high stakes game of chicken to avert a government shutdown and debt default with President Biden pressuring Democratic moderates to go on the record with what their spending priorities actually are. Plus, you know, this was coming. Republicans deciding that maybe it's time to end all vaccine mandates, measles, mumps, all of them. Also, America's top Haiti envoy resigns over the administration's deportation policy, with Republicans unable to resist their demagoguery on the issue. And tonight's absolute worst believes that rape victims should not be allowed to get abortions and that their pregnancies are partly their own fault. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. 
The situation in Congress is chaotic, to say the least, as Democrats juggle a bipartisan infrastructure bill, Biden's Build Back Better bill, Republicans who refuse to increase the debt ceiling, and impending government shutdown. The White House is telling government agencies to prepare to indeed shut down starting on October 1st. That's just a little over a week from tonight. Now, while there's still a chance that Democrats could pass a resolution to keep the government open, there's currently no agreement on avoiding an unprecedented default on our debt. Meanwhile, there's been some progress on the infrastructure bills. Senate, minority, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Speaker Nancy Pelosi say they've come to an agreement on a, quote, framework for how to pay for reconciliation. But they haven't finalized a price tag or what policies stay in the bill. This comes after Biden met with Democrats yesterday with Senator Joe Manchin saying that the president asked him to come back with a concrete dollar figure that he could support. Let's just be clear. This isn't about dollars. It's about policies, which in the end are about values, as Speaker Pelosi said earlier today. We, the public, deserve to know what these senators, from whatever camp they're in, actually value. Well, Manchin made sure to note to reporters that he has big problems with the climate provisions in the bill. So values. Indeed, we've spent a lot of time on the show on Joe Manchin's ties to big oil and big pharma and pretty much all of the groups who do not want this bill. But we tend to not spend as much time on Kirsten Cinema, who, like Manchin, has come out against the bill's drug price reforms. These are reforms that, checks notes, 88 percent of the country supports. So why would a sitting senator, a Democratic senator, be against this? Well, what does Senator Cinema value? Oh, right, money. Kristen Cinema, who Kaiser Health News once called a pharma favorite, has received more than $500,000 from the pharmaceutical industry throughout her career. According to a liberal nonprofit group, she's received a total of $923,000 from the industry groups leading the charge against the bill, which includes that money from Big Pharma. And The Intercept reports that a dark money group, No Labels, is already celebrating her for derailing the reconciliation bill by decoupling it from the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which has stuff in it that they actually want. I'm joined now by NBC national political reporter Sahil, Ka- Sahil Kapoor on Capitol Hill. So get, take us inside these uh, behind-the-scenes negotiations um, and what these, particularly the moderate senators, are claiming they want. Because all we're hearing is no, no, no. Have they started to talk about what it is that they want in the bills? Joy, there is certainly pressure on these centrist Democrats to come up with a dollar figure that they're for and to start narrowing down in terms of policies, communicating what they are willing to support. That was President Biden's message to Senator Manchin. That is something that a number of Democrats that I've spoken to, senators and aides, are a little confused in terms of what Senator Manchin is ultimately willing to support. Now, uh, according to my sources, uh, Senator Sinema has communicated privately to committee chairs and to leadership some of what she opposes, some of what she supports. She has not been public about this, so there is some confusion, at least, as to where she stands. She says she's opposed to the three and a half trillion dollar figure. What is she willing to support? The, at the end of the day, Joy, this is the reason that progressives in the House are holding this infrastructure bill up because those two, Manchin and Sinema, have a lot invested in that. They co-wrote it. 
it will validate their view of bipartisanship in the Senate. They can go home and brag about that. Progressives don't want that infrastructure bill to pass until reconciliation passes because they're worried that those two in particular would have no use for reconciliation if the infrastructure bill were done and signed into law. Now, centrist Democrats in the House and the Senate, their aides will swear up and down that they have no intention of killing reconciliation, that they absolutely do want this to pass. There are provisions in that, like the child tax credit, for instance, that everyone supports. But progressives don't trust them. And that's where things are right now. Very quickly, just to, to follow up with you on one thing. Is the fight about the dollar figures or about policies in the bill? Because if it's just about dollars and cents, that doesn't even feel like a morally relevant fight. Is it about the money and the price tag or about policies in the bill? It is absolutely about both. Now, the dollar figure and the price tag is more about political positioning. Three and a half trillion was the agreement that, uh, or at least, I guess, the handshake agreement that progressives and, and moderates came to, but some of the centrists say that's a bit much. There are concerns about that spending. They want it to go lower. The, but there are policy fights, too. There are real differences of opinion, particularly around the prescription drug issue. You just alluded to that. Uh, differences of opinion between Democratic senators and uh, House Democrats as well in terms of where to go on that. At the end of the day, Democrats hopes of surviving an onslaught in the 2022 election, Joy, is going to depend on what happens with this bill. This is the last major train leaving the station on President Biden's economic agenda. Everything after this is going to have to go through a filibuster, which means it'll likely need Mitch McConnell's support. So uh, this is kind of a do-or-die moment for Democrats to get something major that they can try to campaign on. Yeah. So Sahil Kapoor, uh, great job. Thank you very much. Really appreciate your reporting. Okay, let's bring in New York Democratic Congressman Mondaire Jones. He is a member of the House Judiciary Committee. So let's go through this piece by piece, Congressman, Uh, starting with this idea of the price tag, because, you know, money in politics is simply a statement of 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 our values. Right. I mean, when the government wants to, they can throw trillions of dollars at the airline industry or whatever industry they want at the banks. They got the money. And this is a very wealthy country. So are you hearing anything from what moderates are saying that speaks to what their values are, what policies they support, or are they just talking money? Well, Joy, it's great to be with you. And and I think you've really uh, sort of pinpointed the challenge here. I mean, we want to hear from our conservative Democratic colleagues, because these are not moderates. Let's be clear. Uh, The vast majority, nearly all of House Democrats are in support of this president's broadly supported economic agenda. It is an agenda for the people, as House Democrats say. There's a reason why you only hear a handful of names. So these folks are not moderates. I would never malign my moderate colleagues who similarly (laughs) want to see universal child care in the way that I do. We just sent a letter that I led, signed by 106 people, to Pelosi and to Schumer. 106 members signed this letter, uh, including, frankly, Josh Gottheimer and Henry Cuellar, saying we need to keep the universal child care provisions that we passed out of the House Education and Labor Committee and the final reconciliation bill. Uh, yeah. So so we can do this thing, uh, but we need more information from our colleagues who are raising concerns, hypothetical concerns, uh, without addressing the substance of whatever their critique may be. Let me play some of your fellow progressives uh, talking about, as you said, maybe they, maybe you don't call them moderates, but whoever they are holding the whole caucus hostage. Take a look. The, the real problem we have in Washington is it's big pharma and the special interests that don't want to have to pay for this. And what we are running into is enormous opposition from the drug companies because they don't want to have us lower the cost of prescription drugs. The healthcare industry surely does not want us to expand Medicare to cover dental, eyeglasses, and hearing aids. We are currently being held hostage by conservative Democrats who are doing the, the bidding of, you know, big pharma, big oil, and Wall Street. This is... 
think this is what concerns folks who are watching this bill, because it doesn't matter if it was a three trillion dollar bill or a 20 trillion dollar bill. The point is, who doesn't want it? And Kirsten Cinema has taken a lot of money from Chamber of Commerce type groups, Big Pharma. She even got an internship, an eleven hundred dollar internship at a winery whose owner just happens to be the co-founder of TPG Capital, one of the largest private equity firms in the world which spent more than $3 million lobbying lawmakers over the past few years. You've got Pharma launching seven-figure ad campaigns to try to stop this bill. Going on TV, I see these ads even on MSNBC, everything they can to stop this bill. At this point, are you concerned that it isn't even these whatever they are, moderates, conservative, Democrats, but it's really big pharma, the Chamber of Commerce, big oil that Joe Manchin loves so much and doesn't really want to do climate change stuff? Is that who's really directing the opposition to this bill? Joy, I think we are seeing the worst of what Americans believe about Congress play out in this moment. When you see people opposing simply the ability of Medicare, the federal government, to negotiate down the price of prescription drugs, something that is supported overwhelmingly by both Democrats and Republicans, uh, it's clear then that people aren't playing district politics. They're not looking out for the folks in their district. Uh, And then, of course, that begs the question, who then are they looking out for? Uh, And so, look, I get it. I've got got an incredible pharmaceutical company in my own district. But here's the thing. I'm going to vote for the people. Uh, And that's what I want and would urge my colleagues to do who are trying to block, again, this president's broadly popular economic agenda. I do believe that we will unify together as Democrats. It's a shame that so much of this drama has been played out. Uh, in the public square, so to speak. Uh, but I do believe, as with the American Rescue Plan and as with other things, that we will rally around uh, mm-hmm. a, an agenda that allows us to meet this moment. We're talking about the expansion of Medicare. We're talking about universal child care. We're talking about climate action to prevent uh, her, another Hurricane Ida from devastating communities throughout America. This is what we can do under unified control of the federal government. Uh, and this is what Democrats, I would submit, will do in the coming days. And it's what y'all ran on. I will note for our audience that uh, the Poor People's Campaign and Bishop Barber have requested a meeting with the White House. Uh, they want to go straight to the top and talk to the White House about this. And I, I can just imagine what they're going to say. Uh, but Mondaire Jones, uh, Congressman, thank you for fighting the good fight. Appreciate you being here this evening. Thank you. You can come back anytime. Thank you very much. Still ahead, the new but strengthening alliance between the far right and anti-vaccine fanatics poses a growing threat, not only to the medical professionals literally facing death threats, but to anyone trying to seek care at hospitals that are packed with unvaccinated COVID patients. More on that next. Stay with us. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. The anti-COVID vaccine hysteria within the GOP appears to be reaching illogical and potentially deadly new heights, especially in, of course, Florida. Get this. State Senator Manny Diaz says it may be time to review mandates for other vaccines in schools, including measles, mumps and rubella. 
but added, oh, there's a difference between the COVID vaccine and those, in his words, that are proven to work. In other words, he's inviting measles outbreaks on top of a pandemic to own the libs, I guess, while also spreading misinformation on the COVID vaccine. Yes, we're doomed. This comes as the killer administration of Ron DeSantis continues to try to turn Florida's children into guinea pigs for a statewide herd immunity experiment, perhaps to benefit his top donor who's heavily invested in a monoclonal antibody cure called Regeneron, maybe? The Palm Beach County School Board voted to follow the new state Surgeon General's rule ending mandatory school quarantines for COVID exposure. I'm joined now by Dr. Bernard Ashby, a Miami-based cardiologist. Uh, this feels like the sum of all fears, um, revisiting whether or not there should be mandatory measles, mumps, and rubella vaccines in Florida. Your thoughts, Dr. Ashby? Well, good evening, Joyce. It's always a pleasure to be here and bless up. Um, bless up. You know, definitely. Uh, Congressman Diaz uh, needs to close his trap and he needs to stay in his lane and, and again, leave the, the public health and the science to the professionals. Again, we have uh, another politician sticking his nose where it doesn't need to be. We've done an incredible job with uh, basically eliminating the scourge of measles, mumps, rubella and other uh, previous pathogens uh, that afflicted our society for decades prior to, you know, these vaccination campaigns. And now he wants to roll that back and expose not just adults and elderly citizens, but our infants who are not eligible for vaccination. And therefore, they won't be protected by the herd immunity if you start to roll those back. And so he's playing politics per usual. And now he's going beyond the COVID-19 pandemic and looking at other uh, successful campaigns and trying to roll those back for what? For political points. And, and I'm tired of it. It's, you know, what frightens me for my for former state is that it feels like Republicans are using the state as a giant sort of herd immunity experiment. They want to do sort of free, of make it a free fire zone for any kind of, of illness, for any kind of viruses and saying, come and get us. And, and it, it worries me because I fear that part of it has to do with, you know, your governor being invested. You know, he's got some donors that got some investments in what they think are cures and even, you know, in treatments. It, it scares me. But now you have on top of that somebody with all his Harvard degrees who's coming in here getting half a million dollars between the teaching gig he's going to get and being Surgeon General to also push that herd immunity experiment. He is not a clinician. Let's just be clear. He's not doing what you do. He's not treating COVID patients. He's not even the kind of doctor who treats COVID patients. He is not an immunologist. He's not a virologist. He has no expertise just because he has the word doctor in front of his name. Does it frighten you that this man is now attorney, is now Surgeon General and is saying, kids who've been exposed to COVID should be able to go maskless to school? Well, you have DeSantis, a Yale grad. You have Dr. Ladapo, a Harvard grad. Uh, and you have myself, uh, who also studied policy at Princeton. Uh, and, you know, at least Princeton's still standing because between <laughs> those two, they're, they're giving those institutions a bad name. I have Harvard and shame. I agree with that. Sorry to hear that. You know, peace be with you. But mm -hmm. you have these these individuals who are coming out of these, quote unquote, elite institutions who are highly educated, who are willfully making decisions to gain to for personal and political gain. And with Dr. Ladapo, which what we've seen is that 
if you actually listen to this guy, he is a, a, an intelligent, well thought out uh, individual. And he elaborates on his points. And I agree with some points and I disagree with a lot of points. And he's allowed his himself uh, and his black skin and his uh, stellar uh, credentials to be used by right wing politicians and those with agendas. And as much as I want to root for him, I'm not going to root for somebody who's actively enabling uh, someone like Governor DeSantis and other politicians to put the public health and the public interest at risk for their own gain. And that is the problem. He is a prop. And he doesn't realize that he what happened to Dr. Uh, Rikas, uh, who was a previous Surgeon General who was MIA throughout the entire pandemic, is going to happen to him. And if he is going to be out there, he's going to be serving the interests of DeSantis. He's not going to tell DeSantis what he wants to do. DeSantis is going to tell him what he wants to do, and he's going to use his credentials to, to validate his foolishness. And that's what we're seeing now. And it's unfortunate that they're using this, this gentleman who benefited from a lot of the sacrifices that our predecessors made, who rebelled, who were killed, jailed, beat, uh, to, to put him in Harvard, for him to then go out and serve uh, against our interests, that's, that's a pure slap in the face. It is indeed. It is indeed. I want to move on to you've talked about this on this show. Just the, the, the pushback has gotten to be weird and dangerous against people like yourself who are just trying to give people basic health advice and trying to give people good advice so that they can survive this pandemic. Here are some reports. The Billings Gazette reporting that a patient has thrown his own feces at a doctor to punish that doctor for talking uh, about trying to get vaccinated. Georgia Public Health Broadcasting reports a patient grabbed a nurse by her wrist and started kicking her in the ribs. Uh, In Michigan, someone tried to run a health officer off the highway hours after he issued a mask mandate for schools. In Texas, Texas Tribune reports verbal abuse, name calling, racial slurs at a Dallas hospital. This is at the point now where the public has been so radicalized on the right that they're trying to hurt medical professionals for just saying you need to wear a mask and get vaccinated. Is, is it that bad in Miami and South Florida and Florida as well? Well, Joy, um, I haven't gotten death threats, but I've gotten uh, threats and, um, you know, very negative messages uh, directed at me. I mean, I am an advocate for the people. I don't care what party affiliation you have. I don't care what color you are. I'm all about protecting the sanctity of human life. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes, even uh, face threats. And yeah, I've seen it firsthand. People actually call my office and tell me to shut my mouth. And so people are, are so far gone that they don't even engage in dialogue. However, I am not uh, pessimistic about Americans and about the uh, the goodness of, of our citizens, because I have two offices. I have an office in Miami. I have another one in Port St. Lucie. My Port St. Lucie office, which is about two hours north of Miami, actually has a lot of Republicans who are Trump supporters. And those patients, they love me. I love them. They will ride or die for me. But it's because we have that dialogue. If they know that I serve in their in their best interest. They know I've been there through thick and thin. And so we have to depend on the, the folks with, without an agenda to guide our country to, to, for us to serve in our best interest. And right now we have uh, these villains, basically, who are serving their best agenda and, and Americans are paying the price as a result.
Yeah, indeed. Uh, I wish we had more time, uh, but I, I'm going to just wish you well. Be safe out there, Dr. Ashby. Thank you for all that you're doing, trying to save lives. I mean, it is a, it is a calling, uh, a, a very godly calling. So I, I thank you for being here and for all that you do. Dr. Bernard Ashby, thank you, my friend. Appreciate you. All right. Uh, breaking news when we come back. Uh, new information on those subpoenas related to the January 6th insurrection and who might have been involved in Trump world. That's right after the break. Don't go anywhere. NBC News reports uh, in some breaking news just moments ago, the select committee investigating the January 6th insurrection has issued subpoenas to four of Donald Trump's closest aides and associates, all of whom were working with him in the days leading up to the insurrection. They include former chief of staff Mark Meadows and his deputy Dan Scavino, as well as former Defense Department official Cash Patel and Steve Bannon. Those subpoenas are for documents and Testimony. For more, I'm joined by Yamish Alcindor, White House correspondent for the PBS NewsHour and moderator for PBS Washington Week, uh, and also NBC national political reporter Sahil Kapoor on Capitol Hill, as well as Glenn Kirshner, who's going to provide some legal an analysis for us in just a moment. But I'll start with you, Yamish. These subpoenas have just dropped. Um, the committee is moving pretty quickly. Were we expecting these subpoenas to happen today? We were, expect, we were expecting for subpoenas to happen quickly because the chairman has said over and over again that their work was important and that they were going to be moving quickly. Um, it is really a list of people who are at the center of Donald Trump and this lie about the election. And if you read the letters by to each one of these individuals, they're chock full of information saying, look, we know, we, we, we believe that you were near the president on January 6th. We know that you were in touch with people, um, talking to people about January 6th, talking to people about taking apart the, the, the certification and trying to stop on the certification of of the votes. So this is really a, a game changer moment. This is a moment where all of the talking really comes into in, into real focus here because these individuals have said that they likely are going to try to have executive privilege and try to claim executive privilege. But these letters really state how serious this just got. This is this is going to be a political showdown to end all political showdowns because you can expect each one of these individuals to fight. But this committee clearly is not playing around. They 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 know exactly what they want to. Get out of these individuals. Absolutely. And uh, I'm going to go to you, Sahil. I know you've been on, the, on Capitol Hill today. I know you've been on another beat trying to see what's going on with these uh, moderate Democrats who are, are, are wrangling over the $3.5 trillion uh, in infrastructure bill. However, uh, any word of any sort of uh, response from the Republican side of Capitol Hill thus far? I mean, Mark Meadows is a former congressman, obviously. He's somebody very well known on the Hill. These are figures who were very well known during the last four years as they were working for Donald Trump. Any response so far? No word that we've gotten yet, Joy. Now, these subpoenas, of course, just dropped moments ago. This is brand new. And this really illustrates the aggressive mandate that this committee believes it has to investigate all the events of January 6th, as well as everything leading up to it, the second part is key because they want to stitch together a timeline, a version of events about what happened so this can never happen again. Now, as Yamish points out, these are all individuals close to the former president and who had a lot of say into the events that led up to January 6th and the president's attempts to decertify and try to overturn the 2020 election, which we should, of course, note that he lost fair and square. This is a committee trying to get information from these individuals. And it's important to know there's uh, been speculation out there, some possibility that, you know, subpoenas could reach even members of Congress. The committee is starting with these individuals closest to the former president 
who he had the most direct communication with. They might broaden the circle out from here. But this investigation just went to just took on a, a new turn. It's now in a new, much more serious phase, Joy. Yeah, absolutely. Glenn, let me read you a little bit from I'm looking here at uh, for the audience to see. These are two of the I'm sorry to get these in front of the camera. Uh, I've got the uh, subpoena, the letters that have gone to Mark Meadows and to Steve Bannon. Here's a little bit of what was written to Mark Meadows. Um, and it says here, it appears that you were with or in the vicinity of President Trump on January 6th, had communications with the president and others on January 6th regarding events at the Capitol and are a witness regarding activities of that day. Moreover, it has been reported that you engage in multiple elements of the planning and preparation of efforts to contest the presidential election and delay the counting of electoral votes. In addition, according to documents provided by the Department of Justice, while you were the president's chief of staff, you directly communicated with the highest officials at the Department of Justice requesting investigations into election fraud matters in several states. We understand that in the weeks after the November 2020 election, you contacted several state officials to encourage investigation of allegations of election fraud, even after such allegations had been dismissed by state and federal courts. They add that, moreover, one press report indicates you were in communication with organizers, organizers of the January 6th rally, including they name Amy Kramer of Women for America First. That is the letter to Meadows, a little bit of the letter to Bannon. And it says here, for example, you have been identified as present at the Willard Hotel on January 5th. 2021 during an effort to persuade members of Congress to block the certification of the election the next day. And in relation to the other activities on January 6th, you also described you are also described as communicating with then President Trump on December 30, 2020, and potentially other occasions urging him to plan for and focus his efforts on January 6th. Moreover, you are quoted as saying on January 5th that all hell is going to break loose tomorrow. What I just read um, from those letters, what does that say to you, Glenn Kirshner, about the breadth of this investigation? Joy, let me try to rephrase and recast and summarize what you just read, because what I heard as a former career prosecutor is that Steve Bannon and Mark Meadows, you may have a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Here's what's going to happen, Joy. There are several battles that will now play out, I predict. One, the folks who have been subpoenaed might try to invoke executive privilege, but I suggest that dog won't hunt because what you just read, Joy, makes it clear that there will be a robust crime fraud exception claim that will be invoked to defeat executive privilege. What's the next battle that's going to be fought? Will these people comply with the subpoena? We've seen prior administration officials thumb their noses at congressional subpoenas. So we'll have to ask our question, has Congress learned its lessons of the past by failing to aggressively try to enforce its subpoenas if witnesses refuse to comply? There, of course, are three ways Congress can do that with civil enforcement, with criminal contempt, and with the inherent power Congress has to enforce its own subpoenas through contempt. And then the final piece, assuming we finally get these men, their butts in the witness chairs before Congress, will they invoke a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, which they clearly will have just today, Joy, as you pointed out, there was reporting that Steve Bannon in a January 5th War Council meeting with Giuliani, Trump and others said 
It's time to kill the Biden presidency in the crib. Joy, if that doesn't earn him a marquee spot on the inevitable seditious conspiracy indictment, I contend is supported by the evidence. I don't know what does. Yeah. And so he'll give me a sense of, of the sort of temperature on the Hill, because I think one of the key questions you just heard Glenn ask is how aggressive this is very aggressive to have issued these subpoenas that quickly after, you know, there was the, the, the word that they were going to go quick. This is pretty quick. But is there a sense of how aggressive this committee plans to be about enforcing these subpoenas, even if that means, you know, calling in the law to make sure these people get their butts into those chairs? Joy, the temperature is deeply polarized on Capitol Hill about this. Democrats are absolutely serious from every conversation I've had with those on the committee and close to the committee about getting to the truth. This unites everyone in the party from the moderates, the centrists to the progressives. They view this as an existential threat to American democracy. What happened on January 6th, and frankly, some of the sharpest comments have come from those who consider themselves more moderate, more conservative. Liz Cheney is the vice chair of this panel. She's involved in these high-level decisions that are made. So this is not an ideological issue. On the Republican side, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has stuck very closely to former President Trump. He believes that his path to becoming speaker involves getting the former president's support and staying on his good side. Just hours ago, he spoke to reporters. And before these subpoenas were out, he called this committee and its investigation political. That is pretty much the party line, with some rare exceptions. So I would expect Kevin McCarthy uh, to be critical of this. I would expect him and his allies to fight this. I would expect kind of a trademark statement coming from the former president about how all this is a witch hunt and it's all political that we've come to expect uh, when stuff like this happens. And it remains to be seen how hard these individuals fight it, what the former president says. And Joy, absolutely, you're right. How aggressively Democrats try to enforce this because they can. Now they have the Biden White House who has supported this investigation, put out a statement earlier saying that it's important to have a thorough investigation. If they put out, for instance, a a criminal referral to the Justice Department, which is one tool that uh, congressional committees have to enforce subpoenas, they are dealing with a very different Justice Department than the one under the previous administration. So these are all dynamics uh, going forward that will affect how all of this plays out, Joy. Excuse me. And Yamiche, let's talk about that White House for a second, because they have a lot on their plate, obviously, right now. Talk about the mood inside the White House right now, because they're juggling this crisis on the border with Haitian migrants, these negotiations that they're dealing with with Democrats of all ideological stripes to try to get through this reconciliation bill. There's a lot going on. What is the sense of how aggressive the White House wants to see this go? Because there has been a sense that they have tried very hard to stay in that sort of bipartisan lane. Based on my conversations with White House officials, the mood inside the White House, also having been there today all day, is tense. They understand that this is an important, crucial moment in the Biden presidency. Um, He's been in office about 240 days now, and they understand that this multitude of crises is how the public is going to judge him. He's he's dealing with so many issues on so many different fronts. And when it comes to, to January 6th and this select committee, the White House made it clear today that the president, President Biden, sees January 6th as a deep stain that he will that the White House will be trying to do as much as possible to provide what documents they can 
to the committee. So this is the White House that is saying we will aggressively work with the committee to try to figure out what went on in this White House, because there's so many questions. You point to the idea that these letters and I reading them myself, these letters say that Mark Meadows might have been in contact with people who yeah. planned this 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 insurrection, um, that he might have been talking to people about how to do the, these things and how how to possibly um, be involved with trying to take over the U.S. government. That is a claim that is that is that is extraordinary. And there are deposition dates in these letters. If you look at them, they say October 14th, October 15th, you need to be in Congress. So you can already see that there are real there's real teeth behind these letters. And then when it comes to the other crises, I mean, the Haitian migrant crises, is is has has really rocked this White House because there are so many supporters of the president, including a lot of Haitian Americans who were really excited about seeing him come into office because he was not going to be like former President Trump in their eyes. And here they are today, so many of them telling me that they view President Biden as treating Haitian migrants worse than former President Trump in that he, they, these images of, of Border Patrol agents using reins against migrants, they say that this looks like slavery. They say that this is cruel, that it's inhumane. And the story that I broke today about the special envoy resigning, a lot of the things that he's saying and why he's leaving the administration are the same reasons why Haitian migrants are saying, how can this be the Biden administration? So that is absolutely an issue that the Biden administration is going to have to deal with. The president has not spoken out about it. I pushed the White House secretary to say, why isn't the president saying more from his bully pulpit? And she said he might speak out, he may not. Um, so we have to watch that, that that carefully. But this is a confluence of issues, especially if you think about the fact that the government might shut down next week. I mean, there's right. so many different things that he's that he is facing. So it, it, it's a tense White House right now. I, I can imagine. And Glenn, and uh, but and yet and yet I, I now have two more letters in my hand here. Uh, this is the one to Cash Patel, because you're absolutely right. Uh, but the, the the centrality of our democracy being uh, on the brink, Glenn, it cannot be overlooked no matter how many things the White House has on its plate. This has got to be something they're thinking a lot about. Here is what is written to Cash Patel. It says you served as chief of staff of Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller, a position President Trump appointed you to on November 10, the day after he replaced then-Secretary of Defense Mark Esper. Prior to your appointment, you served. He, they talk about what they're doing. They're saying, based on documents obtained by the Select Committee, um, there's substantial reason to believe you have additional documents and information relevant to understanding the role played by the Department of Defense. We are talking about a broad investigation that goes back to December, that goes back to shortly after the election, and that goes to the the Department of Defense, Glenn. Yeah, it looks like they are sort of uh, going scattershot, a wide shot group, so to speak, to try to get all of the different pieces under subpoena, including the Department of Defense piece, which, you know, I've been preaching since January 6th that it sure looks like the executive branch set up the Capitol for failure. Not only did Donald Trump verbally launch the attack by inspiring the crowd, to go down and stop something that really hadn't gone on in the first place, stop the steal. Well, nothing had been stolen. This was Donald Trump nefariously ginning up an attack on the Capitol. And what did he do? He deprived the Capitol of executive branch law enforcement agencies necessary to protect the Capitol. That's where the Department of Defense piece comes in and is really important. It doesn't get any worse than this. This is a recipe for a coup. We're going to stay on this. MSNBC will obviously stay on it. Uh, Yamish Alcindor, Sahil Kapoor, Glenn Kirshner, thank you all very much. That is tonight's readout. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.